0: at a church that uh, kicks off the morning with Blondie. Um, I'm going to read from the first chapter of James, if you'd like to follow along with me. James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 18. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also... Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Heavenly Father, we invite your spirit to be with us and in us during these next few minutes as we uh, reflect on your word and hear what you have uh, for this community, for each of us, uh, in these words from James. We thank you for this uh, this time to listen and think together. In Christ's name, amen. So, James 1, verse 2. Let me uh, read that verse again in a couple of different translations. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Dear brothers and sisters... When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy, brothers and sisters. All of us, pure joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whatever you face, all kinds of trials, all sorts of trouble, anything that we should happen to walk into, when nothing seems to be going your way, when you're at your wit's end because of all the junk that's coming at you, smile, be exceedingly glad, be joyful and happy and count it as pure joy. There's a lot of things in the Bible that kind of seem backwards from uh, uh, human understanding and wisdom. Turn the other cheek, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Blessed are the meek, take up your cross and follow me. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. When I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes it seems like God is all about turning human wisdom upside down in scripture. But something about this particular verse in James just strikes me as particularly perverse at the surface. Count it as joy when you face all kinds of troubles. Joy for all kinds of troubles. Maybe I'm using the word trial here too broadly, but it does say all kinds of troubles, anything that you should run into. It's definitely how I've always read this passage and and how I've always heard it referred to, that troubles can mean any of those things which try men's souls, illnesses, injury, poverty, crime or accidents, natural disasters, cancer, theft, car crashes, lawsuits, You get laid off from your job, count it as joy. Your wife leaves you. Your children are not speaking to you. Your boyfriend is abusing you. All of these things, count it as joy. You want to say, really, really, James? Is that what the author means? Are we supposed to be like the guy on the bulletin cover today who can't help celebrating when there's nothing to celebrate? Is that what James is talking about? The title from this sermon comes from a short book by the French philosopher Voltaire, and that sounds incredibly pretentious, (laughs) but uh, this is about all I know about Voltaire. Um, So Voltaire wrote this short book called Candide, Uh, and uh, the title character in that book faces one calamity after another. It's just a, a list of, of misfortunes that almost becomes comical in its absurdity. And through it all, Candide is guided by his teacher, Pangloss, who raised him with the mantra, all is for the best in this, the best of all possible worlds. So when they're captured and forced to fight uh, for a foreign enemy in a war that's not, that, that's not there as well, This is the best of all possible worlds, so this circumstance must also be for the best. And when they're imprisoned and about to be burned at the stake, all is for the best in the best of all possible worlds. And when a tremendous earthquake hits uh, the city of Lisbon and kills thousands and thousands of people, which was an actual event that happened in Voltaire's lifetime, well this too is for the best and must have been necessary in order to make this world The best of all possible worlds. I think maybe a certain reading of this beginning part of James could be a part of what Voltaire is satirizing in Candide. The question is is this a good reading? Is James calling us to kind of a Pangloss like optimism where we're celebrating when there's nothing to celebrate? Our motto is don't worry be happy, and we just cheerfully whistle to always look on the bright side of life. Thank you. (laughs) And for those who didn't get that reference, you're probably better people for it. (laughs) Um, I expect that most of us are answering, no, of course not. There are plenty of examples in Scripture that our response to trials of all kinds need not be simply putting on a happy face. From Job calling out to God that he wished he had never been born, uh, or Jesus weeping at the death of Lazarus, or or Paul saying in Romans to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, Most of all, perhaps, the Psalms of Lament where the biblical poets cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are plenty of examples all through scripture of people not responding to trials and troubles with a smile on their face and apparently not being contrary to God's will in doing so. But how about James? Let's today just uh, confine ourselves to this text. And I'd like to ask, is James being like Pangloss and saying we should rejoice because all is for the best in the best of all possible worlds? And I would suggest this is an incorrect characterization, I'll give you uh, two thoughts on why from this text, one fairly obvious and the other a little more subtle but maybe more important. Um, First of all, the verse I've been repeating uh, over and over, James 1-2, count it all joy, it's not a complete sentence, not in Greek and not in most English translations. Despite the way I've been emphasizing it and amplifying it, there's no suggestion that we're simply to be joyful in the face of trials, full stop. We're not joyful because of the trials, certainly. And in fact, I don't even think that James is saying that we should be joyful in that moment in spite of the trial. These... um, uh, James is instead directs us to count these experiences as joy because of what they'll yield in the future. One translation says that it's the opportunity for joy. It's not the trial right now, but the end result of the trial later down the road. Namely, experiencing these trials will result in a building our steadfastness or endurance, which in turn... Will make us complete and lacking nothing. It's worth noting uh, the uh, imperative that James uses here. James does not say to rejoice, to be joyful, or be happy. What he says is to consider it joy. And the word consider here is uh, it, it has to do with governing and ruling. The Greek word is hegeomai, where we get hegemony, a dominating leadership, kind of a political uh, leadership of one faction over another. It's kind of like James is saying something like, take charge of these trials by making a decision to reckon them as joy. This uh, counting is often used uh, when one thing is to be considered as something else. A good example is in Philippians when Paul says, consider others to be better than yourselves. And it's irrelevant whether those others actually are better. That's just how they're to be counted, how they're to be reckoned and considered, and therefore uh, treated. This counting as joys is more like a formal legal decision than it is uh, an emotional response. So these experiences, these trials, are subjectively not joyful, but we're to put them in the joy column. We're to reckon them that way. Why? Because we know, it says we know that going through these trials will test our faith and will eventually lead to steadfastness. Hold on to that thought about testing our faith. So, first of all, James doesn't say enjoy our troubles, but rather uh, uh, count them as joy. And the second and related way that I think that James's theology is different from Pangloss and Candide is the role that each seems to ascribe to God in these trials. One might reason if the trial or trouble in my life is, is for some later purpose, if it's going to build steadfastness and ultimately make me complete and lacking nothing, then maybe this trial, this trouble, is a gift from God. The message translation suggests that this. Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. So is James saying that our trials and troubles that we run into, that they're from God? If they were, then it would be reasonable to respond to them the way I've caricatured. To, to be happy because we've gotten something from God that we need. So are we supposed to uh, face trials that way with this happy face? These kind of questions, to ask these questions is to, to wade into the murky waters of theodicy, which is the, the, uh, the theological area of, of questioning the problem of evil in the world. If, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-good, how can suffering exist? Voltaire was responding to a certain uh, Christian worldview, which answered those questions this way. In order for something there to be a good in the world, like courage, there needs to be something bad, like fear, against which the courage can be shown. Right? So... In order to, uh, to have a world where there is the maximum possible amount of good, God has, has necessarily created a world where there's the optimum amount of evil or, or suffering. So that's one way to approach theodicy. And there are many other Christian answers how do we answer these? Does God explicitly ordain each trial in our lives, or does God merely allow these things to happen? If, there, if these trials of all kind are not God's perfect plan, then does that mean that God's will is thwarted? And what role does human free will play in all this, and what role does Satan play in all this? These are, these are big questions, and, and a theological can of worms that Jason and Joe probably didn't mean for me to open this morning, so I will go no further other than to mention a specific point from James here. Look at verses 12 and 13. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So this verse is kind of a recap or continuation of two and four. Steadfastness in the face of trial leads to completion and wholeness and ultimately to reward the crown of life. Then it goes on to say in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and God tempts no one. This could almost seem kind of a non sequitur. First we're talking about steadfastness in trial, and then we're talking about God tempting people. But these temptation words in verse 13 and 14 are really the same as the words for trials in verse 2 and verse 12. So if we can use this word trial broadly to to speak of of the many different troubles and and, uh, difficulties that we face, then it could be reasonable to also To read verse 13, God is not tempting, uh, God does not tempt anyone, that God is not the one putting us through trials. On the contrary, verse 17 says that God gives us good gifts. Good gifts come from God. Anything worth celebrating, anything that actually is joy and doesn't just need to be marked up in the joy column and counted as such, those are the things that come from God. And not these, these uh, uh, sufferings, trials, troubles that I've, I've referenced before. Steadfastness. So that's a good gift. So that comes from God. And it comes out of and as a result of the trial. But we need, not, uh, we need not assign that trial itself to God. And, and for that reason, I think that we need not have guilt or doubt at weeping in grief or even shaking our fists in anger in the face of these trials and, and, uh, and troubles. As I was working on this sermon... I told Shannon um, that it was kind of feeling it was feeling flat it was feeling a little lifeless uh, and I've been reflecting that over, over the, reflecting on that over the last couple of days and it occurs to me that any discussion of theodicy the problem of suffering that doesn't in some way connect with with actual trials, with actual suffering, um, could be a long-winded exercise in missing the point. And so I wanted to uh, kind of wrap up today by sharing a little of how this question of counting trials as joy has played off in my own life. And when Joe asked me to, to preach today, he, he invited me to, um, to please share some of my own testimony. And so, uh, here goes. Um, Some of you know, and many of you may not know, that seven and a half years ago, while Shannon was pregnant with Zachary, um, I was in a Dutch hospital going through a nine-week regimen of chemotherapy treatment. And it was a pretty awful experience. It was definitely not one that felt like joy at the time that I was going through it. And uh, I think at the time I would have called it a trial, but it didn't feel like my faith that was being tested. Shannon's experience with cancer is a completely different story. But for me, it just felt like something that I had to put my head down and muddle through. And I suppose steadfastness came out of it, but I, kinda, I didn't feel like I had a choice It was just like Dory and Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And yet, there were moments uh, during that time, moments of sheer darkness, when any stoicism that I could have about this experience kind of floated away. The doctors were really clear with me that while I was going through chemo, they would not do any tests to check on the progress of the cancer. And they explained that, that the full nine-week treatment was indicated for, uh, for, for my case, no matter what. And so on the one hand, they didn't want to look inside and, and, and uh, find that the tumors were gone and may, maybe feel tempted to stop going through the treatment. Or on the other hand, to become discouraged when Uh, the chemo didn't seem to be working because the doctors were committed to going through the full nine-week cycle no matter what. So, I sat there and and had this this uh, stuff flowing into me and and uh, had to go through it not knowing what was going on inside And, and objectively I knew that this cancer was very treatable and that this kind of chemotherapy was very successful and yet I couldn't know for sure at the moment whether it was working. The possibility existed, even if it wasn't likely, the possibility was there that all this nausea, all these intense fevers that I had and the fatigue and the nerve damage in my extremities and the tearing the snot out of the veins in my arms, that I was going through all that and that the cancer would still win. The possibility was there, although 98% of people that have this treatment uh, survive, that means that two percent don't, and who knows who's to say that I'm not one that would would die. And so, these black moments, usually late at night when I was uh, exhausted but couldn't sleep, uh, and being in on my own, alone in the hospital room, uh, they were the they were there, but. They were the exception, and not not the rule. And they were the exception that proved the rule, that God was there answering the prayers that we had during that time. Our prayers while I was going through cancer was that, that we would have peace. And despite those occasional dark nights of the soul, I did have peace. And one of the things I most distinctly remember about that is that this peace was not something I had to work myself up to. It was kind of effortless. I didn't have to try to accept this, I didn't have to try to have peace. The peace simply was. I mentioned earlier uh, that I'd come back to this thought about trials testing our faith. Verse 3. I think we tend to think about faith as that bundle of things in which we believe. And so when we think of our faith being tested, maybe we have this image of going through some experience, a, a trial, and coming out on the other side with stronger convictions in that bundle of beliefs. But As I reflect on it, that's not a good description of my trial with cancer. I've had experiences that have given me a stronger belief in God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't really count cancer among them. Cancer was a trial that tested my faith in a different way. I think the word faith in Scripture... More often than referring to a system of beliefs like that, faith talks about a way of living. We might use the word uh, faithfulness, pressing on, steadfastness, continuing to walk with God no matter what happens, regardless of the trials that come our way, because we trust that God walks through them with us. And in that regard... My faith was certainly tested. In verse 5, James says that if any of us lack wisdom, we should ask God for wisdom. In the context of trials, I think we often think of that as, God, help me to know what I should do in this situation. And I trust that God grants that kind of immediate request for guidance. But generally when we speak of wisdom, we're talking about a discernment that comes through and after an experience. We can gain knowledge quickly, and we can work at it to gain more knowledge. But there are no shortcuts to wisdom. I'm wise in a way that I could never have been wise without going through those dark moments in that Dutch hospital having chemotherapy. Perhaps when we pray for wisdom, it's at least partly an invitation to those experiences that will make us wise. When those experiences come, those trials... It is that wisdom that we know will come through them that we are able to count as joy. And that's enough. Is it the best of all possible worlds? Well, it's the world that Jesus is abiding with us in walking through those trials. And that's enough to count them as joy, please pray with me, Heavenly Father. It's uh, it's hard to to say thank you, God, for trials, and yet we know we know that they work steadfastness, that they test our faithfulness, that they bring us wisdom. And for those things, we do thank you. We ask you for the grace and the wisdom to press on be steadfast in the face of those trials, and even to count them as joy. In Jesus' name, amen.